So why'd you, why'd you select going to the USFL? Because at that time, there was no free agency. The Vikings were, were the, uh, I think at that time, one, the winningest team or one of, you know, in, in, that, in that category, uh, but were on the lower end of the scale as far as contract. I was a 13 pick overall, and they were basically offering me second-round money. There were guys uh, that were picked way lower than me that were uh, getting, you know, getting bigger and better contracts. So uh, my agent uh, said, listen, the USFL is the fifth overall pick in the USFL, the first defensive player picked in the, um, I think it was the 85 draft. I can't remember, 84, 85, I don't know. But, but um, and they offered, I mean, it was almost double what, what they offered. And it they really left me no choice. I, I didn't have a choice. You know, it's a short-lived game. you got to get out of it what you can, while you can. And um, with the money that they were offering, um, I always knew I'd be back in the NFL. But it was a tough choice. I, even with the money, I, I really didn't want to play in the USFL. I wanted My whole dream, my whole life was to play in the NFL. But Minnesota, you know, they just would not come up. They were like, take it or leave it, you know, Basically, if you don't play here, you're not going to be able to play anywhere. I don't know if they thought I'd play in the USFL or not, but I called their bluff and, and ended up playing. And then when Bud Grant came back, um, I went back. And it really for wasn't much more than they offered me in the first place, but it was a little bit more. You know, it was a little bit more. But at that point, I didn't care because I already made my money in the USFL and it was time to get 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 in the NFL. Talk, talk about the talent in the USFL that you had on a Jacksonville Bulls Unbelievable. team. Unbelievable! I don't care what anybody says. If I didn't have that experience that I had there, um, I don't think I would have been the player. It's hard to say. You had, you had Vaughn. You had Vaughn Johnson on that team, right? Vaughn Johnson, the linebacker. Vaughn Johnson, you know Ed Luther, Brian Sipe, Mike Rozier. Um, Gary Clark, you know, right? Gary Clark. Was, yeah, Gary Clark. Yeah. Man, I mean, this guy's Super Bowl hero. Yeah, Gary was there. Um, so you know, we, but that's just our team. You know, if you go to the New, Jer- New Jersey Generals or the, the Philadelphia Stars or the Memphis Showboats, I mean, there were you know Anthony Carter, the Gary Zimmerman. The list is incredible. There's guys from that league that are in the Hall of Fame. We're NFL All-Pros, Pro Bowlers. Uh, the list is so large, it's, uh, it's incredible. Not to mention the guys that jumped over and ended up playing in the NFL and have a long career. So that league was legit. That league was absolutely legit. And when Donald Trump got in the, in the mix, I think people were excited about that because it made the league more legit. It made people more proud of being a part of it. But basically, he's the one that kind of crushed it because he wanted to get, uh, you know, he wanted to get in the NFL and uh, basically put everybody out of business. Well, the one thing you got to say about Donald Trump, and I remember talking to Bart Oates about it, and uh, he certainly helped. Yeah, there's uh, another guy, Bart Oates. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, Sam Mills and, and all, the, all yeah. the guys. Uh, yeah, William Fuller, another defensive defensive end. Yep. But Donald Trump did help elevate NFL salaries, kind of similar to the way that George Steinbrenner did in baseball. Was he good for the league? Questionable, but he helped elevate players' salaries by giving them leverage, as you know. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, that was basically our first taste of free agency in two different leagues. But, it, yeah, it definitely helped my situation. I mean, you know, my situation is I played in spring of 85. I was drafted in 84, but I played in the spring of 80, drafted by the Vikings in 84. Les Steckel was the head coach. Um, three and 13 Steckel, right? Three and 13, okay. And from what I heard, and I did go to minicamp, and minicamp was really all about obstacle courses. Well, he, he, was, a, he, was, a mili- he was a military guy, right, Steckel? Military guy. Good coach. Don't get me wrong. He's a good coach, good offensive guy. Uh, very disciplined, hardworking guy. I just think at that time, the way the direction that the league was going in, those you know that methodology or whatever you want to call it of how to get guys ready. I just think it kind of backfired and wore guys out. I mean, they were doing goal line scrimmages um, on Monday morning after a game on Sunday. It was crazy, but. Um, Les is a great guy. When I was coaching in Tennessee, he used to come out all the time. He's the OC there. You know, love the guy. We used to talk about the the draft and, and that whole situation. But um, but so anyway, in '85, I played it in the spring, and then I had about six weeks to get ready to go to training camp in Minnesota in the fall of '85. So I basically played two seasons in one. In uh, 1985. Yeah, I remember talking to Maurice Carthon and, and Tom Thayer. You know, same thing. They went right from a USFL, yep. uh, you know, USFL team to playing for for their then NFL team. How hard was that on the body doing that in 1985 for you? You know, I, people ask me that all the time. I mean, it probably has an effect now as I'm as I'm older and feeling it. But at that time, I was pretty good. I was I kept myself in good shape. I was pretty strong. Um, and I was young, so it really didn't bother me that much. Um, I was so excited to be in the league that uh, and put the USL behind me that I, I didn't really think about it that much. Um, but when you really think of when you step back and look at it, you go, geez, how can somebody play 40 games? Because um, we played 18 in the USFL plus two preseason games. And then, obviously, uh, four preseason games and, and, and 16 in the NFL. And believe me, I played in every one of them. So that's 40 games in a year, not to mention two training camps. Um, you know, you, you think you would uh, you, you think you'd be something that you wouldn't be able to survive. But, but we did, and it was fun, and it was definitely worth it. Okay, so 1985, you get 11 sacks, just, you know, despite playing, like you said, in 40 games. 85, 85 you had 11 sacks for the Vikings. Yeah, uh, Bud, didn't, Bud didn't really like starting rookies. So I only started five games that year, but still got 11 sacks. I mean, it was a record for a long time. And, and I always say this, the teams like the Redskins and Giants and, and you guys who invested in USFL players really got a spark from them and were able to be successful in the, in the playoffs. And, and on the offensive side of the ball, you had a guy that was maybe 150 pounds, uh, and his teammates uh, said like he, he talked like a bird, Anthony Carter. Talk about what he brought to the team in the offense. AC was, um, he was 5'11", soaking wet. When training camp started, he was probably 175 pounds. By the time the season started, we got going. He's probably anywhere from 165 to 170. Um, unbelievable athlete, 
great teammate, one of the toughest human beings I've ever seen in my life for a guy that uh, was, was, was that small as far as that, um, that light. Uh, 5'11 is okay, but 175, 170, 175 pounds. I've seen this guy run around. I was there. I witnessed it. We're playing Detroit in Detroit. He ran a crossing route. And Spielman read it perfect, that middle linebacker, read it perfect and clocked him. I mean, clocked him, knocked him out. AC was out. I mean, he was laid out, eyes closed, laying there. Everybody thought he was dead. That's how hard Spielman uh, hit him. We pick him up. We roll him off the, uh, off the field. He comes to. He's fine. He says, Get me back in there. I'm running the exact same route and throw me the ball. Tommy Kramer's our quarterback. He said, make sure no matter what, you throw me the ball. And um, sure enough, that's what happened. And he ended up scoring a touchdown. Literally two plays later, whatever it was, he came right back to it. And Spielman saw it coming, and he went up and got the ball and scored. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable courage. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. He was a huge part of what we did on offense. He returned punts. He returned kickoffs. In the playoffs, he returned kickoffs. And how about the, how about the yeah? How about the Saints game when you guys went into New Orleans? Nobody gave you a chance. Jim Moore, another team that brought in all those USFL players we were talking about, like you know, like Sam Mills and, and Bobby A. Bear. And and, yep. of, and of course Vaughn Johnson uh, and you guys went into New Orleans and stunned him and, and uh, Carter had an incredible game and that's a week before he had the 227 yards against the 49ers exactly exactly I remember the meeting when um, so you know AC is one of our best receivers one of the best in the league at that time he's the one that actually this guy's a winner now he'll do whatever it takes to win he's all about that he came from Michigan. It's been bred into him. He was all about team and all about winning, doing everything. He was the one that went to the coaches and said, listen, I want to return punts and kickoffs. And he goes, I'm going to run one back. That, that's the kind of guy he was. They didn't say, hey, see, you know, we really need you to do this. We really, they could be, because they don't want to lose him as a receiver. He's 170 pounds. He went to the coaches and said, put me back there. I'll do kickoff returns and punt return, which is basically a suicide mission. And um, killed it, killed it. Just he was, he was a, uh, um, he was unbelievable in that whole uh, that whole series for us. I mean, he just he got in the zone, and he just. I mean, we all basically rose up. It was, it was. I'll never forget it. That was a that was a uh, really fun time in, in my career. Was that year? That's the year when people say, you know, when you think back. What do you think about and it, and it and it was that because we did go through a strike. There was you know trying to keep our team on the same page, trying to keep us all going forward. No matter if we all had differences, which we did, um, we all knew that we needed to stay together in the long run to uh, to to make this thing work. And we did that. We committed to that, no matter what our differences were. And it really paid off for us, uh, especially when it came down to the nitty gritty. You know, playing in New Orleans, and then going to uh, you know down to play the Niners. I just wish we could have finished it. Well, talk about that st- staying together as a team during that strike. You saw guys 
like Tutal Jones crossed the picket line. You saw Randy White cross the picket line. And these were veterans that needed, you know, to be paid. They're at the end of their career, so they felt like they had to cross the picket line. Tony Dorsett, uh, I know Mark Gastineau did as well. How did you? How did that affect your team? Well, I mean, we didn't we didn't like that those guys were crossing, especially guys that were, uh, you know, well known in the league, well respected in the league. Uh, you know, no, nobody, you know, we're all losing something. We're all trying to sacrifice uh, for the good of the league and for our fellow teammates and, and, and everything else that, that, that went along with it. I mean, we all, we're all losing a lot of money. In those days, you know, guys were, you know, over $100,000, $60,000, whatever it was. Uh, it was a lot of money that we're losing you know, and um, but but we we made you know we believe me we had drag out knockout arguments in those rooms. You know when Gene Upshaw come to talk to us, you know, it, you know. But the bottom line is we 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 fought through it. We listened. Uh, we got on the same page. We respected each other's opinions and and uh, beliefs and what they you know what they wanted to do. Uh, some guys didn't give a crap about frenzy. They just wanted to get paid. Hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this league. I don't really care about the guys down the road. A lot of that was going on throughout the league, and for good reason. You can't blame them. Hell, I thought about it myself. But when it, when it all came down to it, uh, we all said no matter what happens, let's just stick together and don't cross. We'll make it up in the long run. And basically, that's what we did. Is the NFLPA doing enough for retired players like yourself today? And if, and if you don't want to answer, I, I, I fully respect it's that. A tough, it's a tough subject, and I've talked to a lot of guys in the league that think that, you know, I mean, the 93 rule, they, they did come through for us on that. It's not much. It, it's not much, but um, – you wish that they could do more. A lot, you know, it's, it's almost that, that same thought process. Well, you know, I got to make sure I get mine for me and my family. I'm not going to worry about these old guys that already played. I got to worry about myself. Yeah, but the reason but why Kirk Cousins, but the reason why Kirk Cousins gets a contract like thirty million dollars a year is because of what the bill, the blood you guys spilled on the field, though. Damn right, damn right. And those guys don't think about that. You know, it's like when I was coaching in Tennessee, Mike Munchak always. Used bring up the history of the league and how, where things started even before we played and how you guys need to appreciate where you are today and the things that people had to go through well a lot of these guys um you know they don't they don't think about those things they don't care about those things it's, it's about it's, it's me first and what, what can i get but they're going to find out down the road it, it, you'll see not all of them because some of these guys are you know never going to run out of money but they're going to find out down the road that uh, they're going to wish that they had a support system that supported them uh, the way that, you know, we hope that we get supported, uh, you know, just a little bit more, you know, just, just a little bit more. Like I said, the 93, uh, you know, it helped a little bit, but not enough to really change lives, that's for sure. And before we get back to the USFL, I just want to ask you as far as the concussion issue. Uh, obviously, back in your day, we, we know what the Bears and the Giants and your team did to opposing quarterbacks. You can't hit quarterbacks the way you do today. But talk about the concussion issue. Uh, were there times that you went in and you knew you had a concussion or, or teammates had a concussion uh, back in the day? 
It's an issue. It's definitely an issue. It's, um, you know, you know, you take today what they're doing now, right? They got protocols where if you have a headache or maybe you have um, a, a, a blurred vision, you're out. You're out. You can't go back in. They're not going to let you back in uh, no matter what you say to get back in, Okay. And that's an awesome thing. You know, everybody's getting more educated about head injuries. Everybody's, you know, more into it. Obviously, the, the league's, in, you know, in a little bit of a struggle now with it from, uh, you know, from the parents letting their kids play and all the other stuff. Uh, but they are doing something about it, and that's, that's, that's progress. But the problem is when we played, it was getting a concussion. I mean, I had, I've had three or four just where I've been literally knocked out, not knowing where I'm at, uh, on the sidelines, you know, you know, can you, can you go back in the game? Can you play? And in those days, that's what you had to do. If they needed you, you had to play. It didn't matter. But a concussion in those days was like a sprained ankle. If you could go, you got to go. There was no protection, um, protocols in those days to to protect players from themselves or from head injuries we just had to fight through it i can remember getting a concussion in uh against green bay i think it was an 88 um where i was like out i got hit kicked in the, the head kneed in the head by uh brent fullwood and um, came to the sidelines, had no idea where I was at. And I remember that whole game, Henry Thomas had to help me line up, had to help me figure out what the heck I was doing. Uh, and that went, we were on the road, that went all the way until I got home, basically until that next morning and I came in, uh, uh, that Monday treatment thing that we had to come into. Uh, I was still in a fog. But I finished that game and played that game. And I've done other games like that. There's, there's been other times I've, I've played in games like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of guys suffering because of it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, a way to um, get over on people, to get financial uh I, I mean, ha, yeah. Have you seen the latest interview with Mark Gastineau on, on, on the way he is? And of I've, course, I've Jim, seen it. yeah, he, it's terrible. If you if you Google Mark Gastineau, he did an interview recently, uh, and and he could barely even speak. And he talks about how his wife has to do the yard work and everything. And of course, you've probably seen some of the interviews with Jim McMahon, and you know, play you played against this guy and how charismatic he he was, and to see the, the condition he's in now. How, how are you? Are, are you are you good with this, or do you suffer from? Any? I'm all right. So. I've, I've gone through all the testing. My wife was really concerned um, based on, you know, different things that she noticed. And obviously, when all this stuff started coming out, she was concerned already. And she said, look, you, there, you, you don't have to pay for it. Go get tested just to make sure you're okay or whatever. And, um, you know, just get it on record. If you ever need, you know, they have the... Uh, the, the, the 88 rule or, or, or whatever it is where, you know, if something were to happen down the road um, where I needed assistance, um, it, it would be there for me, you know, just, just down the road. But they found some stuff on me, but I have friends. I've got teammates 
and guys that I went to college with, roommates that played in the NFL, that are struggling. It's it's real. That CTE thing, it's real. Guys are struggling. Um, it takes them a half an hour to have a 10-minute conversation because they got to keep going back. And these are guys I've known since I was 17, 18 years old. We went to college together. We were roommates. I know what kind of people they are and, 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 and how they talk and their mannerisms and everything else, and it's just so, so incredibly off, and it's sad. It, it really breaks my heart um, to see that, you know, and, and I have some of my teammates are really struggling right now, and it's, it's not a coincidence. It's just the timing of everything. And the things that we went through, remember, when we played, you hit people head on. That was how you tackled people. You were what, hat to hat, helmet to helmet. Listen, not even- I only played up until high school and one year of college, so you led with your helmet. That you right. you let you, you led know? with you led with your head, and that's the way it was. And if you weren't that's putting your head, and if you weren't putting your head in there, you were a wuss. Right, right, right. But it was also the, the proper way to tackle people. You led with your head. You Stop them in, in their tracks by jarring them back, by stinging them with the crown of your head. Remember, in those days, we had to get our head across to get guys down. We had to cross face, get our head on the other side of their shoulders. So we had to take the full blunt of their, um, you know, of, of, of their of their weight and strength and power uh, to get them down. That's how we were taught. Now they're doing things completely different with tackling in the NFL as they're going near hip. And then they're basically wrestling you to the ground and rolling. That's, that's what they're trying to do now. But that still doesn't count out the hits that you're taking while you're blocking. You know, D-Lyman, we still come up and hit with our head, and then we go hat to hands. That's the terminology. Yeah. Hat to hands. you got to sting them and jar them and try to get them on their heels and then bring your hands to lock them out and keep them off. That's just – what you did on the line of scrimmage, well, offense and defensive line, so well, it's just part of the game. Yeah, Dan Jiggets told me when I when I talked to him about the about the USFL and obviously the concussion issue. He basically said, offensive and defensive linemen get into about thirty car wrecks a, de- a game because that's what it's like. It's like a small car accident. Right, right. The so, problem is you're not aware of it. You're not cognizant of it. It doesn't feel like that. You don't think about those things. You really don't. And for me, this, this is what it is for me, and this is how it was for my wife, too. When all of the information started coming out, when all the concussion documentaries and, and, and that movie came out, and, and, and listening to all these people, the Mike Websters and all these guys that were struggling uh, with this stuff. It scares the hell out of you. It scares the hell out of me. It scares the hell out of a lot of people. Is this going to happen to me? You know, I've got a family. I've got responsibilities. Is this going to happen to me? Is this in my future? And that, it scared my wife too, and I'm sure it scares a lot of wives. And, and then, and then, you know, it hits you at home when you, uh, you have friends, guys, you know, people you play with, people you love, you've grown up with that are struggling and you and it, the first thing that comes to mind is this an epidemic is this a coincidence what's going on all this stuff is kind of hitting us at once so in that regard it's a little bit overwhelming 
uh, because you don't know what to think about it. And then you go get tested. We've all been tested. Everybody, if you're smart, you need to go get tested. If you played when I played or before, uh, even in the you know early 2000s, late 90s, uh, if you're not playing anymore, you should get tested. At least they have a baseline um, of where you're at. Obviously, they can't tell if you have CTE until you die. You know, it's in the brain. But um, but physically, you can actually see it on people. Like I said, in the way they talk, it's almost like you can see it in their eyes. It just looks like they're not even there. They're just struggling through uh, to make it. And they're you look at their body, they still got great physical looking shape they're still in good shape they're they're in their 60s or i'm 56 you know 50s late 40s whatever it is and you look at him and go man that guy looks good he looks like he can still play but then you look into their eyes and and it's just they're not there they're just gone yeah they, they have they're like, like a kind of uh, kind of drool to their voice let, let me ask you a, a pragmatic question here uh, and you see it in, in boxing anyway. You see mostly Eastern Europeans and Mexicans in the sport. You really don't see as many Americans fighting. Do you think 25, 50 years down the road, the NFL will be around? Jeez, that's a great question, Mike. I think about that a lot. Um, because kids, parents also aren't letting their kids play, and I don't know if you yeah, have boys or not. Do you, do, do, you, do you want them I playing? And it, 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 the, the, my, my situation is... It, it, it's almost like when this stuff started coming out, my kids were already playing, but I've always been there to coach them or to oversee whoever else is coaching them. Cause you get some crazy dads out there that all think they're coaching in the NFL and they're all about that tough man thing. And I don't want that for my kids. I want them to be coached. I want them to be coached hard, but I don't want them to be coached stupid and doing stupid stuff. That's going to hurt them. So I made sure I was always there. And with my, my kids, I, I, I let them get a taste of playing, but I never let them play every single year. Like my 13-year-old, he's played two years in his 13 years of life uh, just to get a taste of it, uh, you know, because he wanted to play so much. Um, it's really hard to say no uh, when your dad's done it, your bro- older brothers have done it, and they all came out all right, and um, – but I do. I, I do worry about it. 